Welcome to a Writer in Italy podcast. I am Michelle Johnston, the host and dreamer behind this podcast. The general plan is to share a book I wrote about a trip to Italy I took about five years ago. This trip turned into the book In the Shadow of a Cyprus, an Italian adventure that I wrote shortly after. Not only will I be sharing my book, but musings on Italy, travel, inspirations, books and authors I have admired along the way. This will grow and evolve over future episodes. I had the idea to share this book as a way to honour the journey, no matter what form it takes. Women's journeys have always fascinated and inspired, so I am taking a leap in that direction. In the Shadow of a Cyprus is a book about a mother, me, who decides after many years of parenting and juggling life that she needs to recharge and make something wonderful happen for herself. It's about taking a solo journey in the middle of a happy, messy life and giving oneself the gift of travel, of seeing and being in a foreign country, of taking the time to savour the delights of the culture, the food, the vina nobile and the smorgasbord of delights that Italy is. This book is based on my personal experience and is a chapter of my journey as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a creative, as a writer, as an artist. In the Shadow of Cyprus is a truthful account of what it means to be all of these things at once. This book is a weaving of diary entries and musings on Italy and life. I will at some stage publish this book, but first, as an avid audio listener, I thought this could be an interesting little experiment. And yes, it possibly needs more editing, and the first chapter I share, well, I don't know that I took a breath for the first 20 minutes, but if you can live with that and put up with my inability to speak Italian very well when I translate words, then we are on our way. I am giving this a go regardless of my fears of my voice and many other shortcomings, because really as artists, we have to take risks and trust the ideas that present themselves along the way, like creating a podcast. I would like to thank Richard, who not only composed the music accompanying my words, but put up with me raving on about going to Italy for a very long time. And also to my girls, Madeline, Grace and Olivia, who at the time were 14, 10 and 5. Thank you so much for taking it in your stride that I disappear for a bunch of weeks. Maddie's only caveat being that I could go as long as she came next time. A reasonable request, I believe. So thank you for listening and please subscribe if you enjoy coming along for the journey. You can visit my website, michellejohnston.net, for any show notes and ruminations on art, travel and life. And feel free to donate to support this podcast if that works for you. We begin in Rome and salute to honouring the cause of the Spirit. Chapter 1, Rome. Take the gun leave the cannoli, or buy a ticket to Italy, take a risk. Sitting here in the Melbourne International Flight Terminal, drinking a hot chocolate, I wonder to myself, will my ability to say non parlo italiano, I do not speak Italian, be enough? I have just arrived from Canberra and have my big red bag checked in. Waiting for the 10pm flight to Fumincino Airport, Rome, I contemplate this plan of mine. This Italian escape I have had planned for months is such an experiment in truth. Having no clue as to what is ahead of me, with the exceptions of landmarks on a map in a town, places I have paid for a few months ago on my MasterCard. 
I am off to Italy by myself. I have left my husband and three kids at home for three weeks in a town called Bungendor. I am flying solo and I am feeling delighted to write that. My beautiful family is staying behind as I wander around Italy, leaving a little dream I have had pinned to my sleeve for many years. The truth is, we might need a second mortgage at this stage for all of us to get to Europe. Yet mostly, I need to do this alone. When you have your first child at 25, even with the most wonderful set of heartfelt intentions, you will wonder about 10 years later if you jump the gun a little. Underneath this musing is a sense that is just meant to be, and you wouldn't change any of it for the world, even if you could. The small coincidence of this detail is the fact that I always knew I would have a child at 25. I wrote these simple words in a diary when I was 22 years old and travelling around the world with my then partner and now husband, Richard. I wrote this wondering why that number came to mind, thinking it seemed ages away really. I forgot about it for a few years, until somewhere in the middle of a university degree I discovered I was pregnant. I was 24 and secretly amazed that I was going to be a mother. This was the thing, the one thing I did know I wanted to be when I was a grown-up. The thing you have to learn to live with is not just so much your ability to choose your life, but just the knowing and added responsibility of a family that your choices can become somewhat limited at times. Sometimes it is just limited thinking or a limited bank balance or the responsibilities of mortgage repayments versus a grand tour of Italy. You have to learn to juggle, not just your needs and wants, but for others' needs and wants in my case. This trip to Italy has been on the back burner for a while now. This reality check came at a time when I was really getting to know who I was and what I wanted out of life, sometime in my early 30s. One of the interesting challenges post-feminism is that I really wanted to be at home with my girls when they were little. This might be considered a little conventional, and that is fine. I wasn't on a big career surge at the time and have embraced and reveled in family life. In the meantime, humming around in my head was a desire, or dare I say a need, to return to Italy. This persistent want has been an interesting affair in the lesson of push and pull. To think, should I just do it? Can I put myself ahead of the house, the kids, the husband, the mortgage? Am I brave enough? I have wanted to prove to myself that I am brave enough. Not worrying about anybody and their needs is not only going to be a treat, but I am sure a sweet revelation. And so I leave the girls with their dad and I hope everything will be okay for them and for me. Day one, Rome, lost and found. What a day. This is the first chance I have had to sit and write. The most sensible thing I have done is hire a bicycle for four euros and ride around the Medici Gardens and further on to the Villa Borghese. I am relieved I did not walk to the Villa Borghese, as it was on the list of adventures in this fabulous city. However, these gardens and villas cover a lot of ground. I have been walking since 8.30 this morning all around Rome. I have not jumped on a single bus and have managed to find my way across the city from Piazza Navona where I am staying, somewhat haphazardly, I admit, but I have seen some wonders on the way. 
This is a sublime landscape to suddenly find myself in, away from the busy city life bustling below. I walked beyond the Spanish steps up to the Medici Villa and thank God because I feel that I need a rest and this green landscape is a balm. The Spanish steps are the perfect landmark to sit and watch and contemplate the next part of the journey. Many people, including the locals, sitting on the iconic steps, sipping water or licking a creamy gelato. Eyes focused on the unique beauty of Piazza di Spagna below. I have had a great morning. Waking up early at 6am, my last three hours of sleep was deep. Suddenly very awake and wishing I had my own pillow, although I always knew that would be an issue. Whatever the case, I am in love with Roma. After a divine breakfast of zucchini frittata, baguette with ham and cheese, sweet blood orange juice, a croissant and the most wonderful silver pot of coffee, I was rejuvenated. I wandered out to the street wondering where the Pantheon might be. The air hit my face and my first day in Rome had begun. I couldn't quite work out where I was going and found myself caught in the throng of mums and dads walking their children to school, never mind the men and women on Vespers, weaving in and out from every direction. I just wandered, mesmerised by the peeling facade of buildings, ornate structures, church bells, the many colours, the beauty and that fresh feeling you have on an autumn morning in a foreign country. I turned the corner, and suddenly the almighty presence of the Pantheon was right in front of me. Beholden, I am here, she whispered. I did not realise that this is a holy place, and you can walk in for free. I walked around taking in the paintings of Mother Mary, and feel the quiet beauty of it all soaking into my skin. It seems to me extraordinary that Raphaela's tomb and that game changer, Victoria Emmanuel, you know, the one that united Italy and me 150 years ago, pretty much like the other day, are among each other's remains below this church. I look up to the light source, the oculus above, illuminating the sky. Rays of light cascade from the aperture at the tip of the dome. Revered for its preservation over the past 2,000 years, this ancient Roman building is a breathtaking sight. I discover that Pan means all and Theo means gods. Originally, this temple was rebuilt by Emperor Hadrian in the early 2nd century, engaging his love of Roman and Greek architecture. This beauty has stood the demands of time. It was in the 7th century that the umbrella of all gods became one god, as the Roman emperor of this period gifted it to the Pope. The Pantheon would then on be used as a church and dedicated to the Virgin Mary and her martyrs. I am transfixed for a moment to find myself suddenly here in Rome and looking out to Piazza della Rotunda. Soon I realised that all of the coffee and water I consumed at breakfast, that I would need to find a bathroom. Eventually, I wander back to the hotel. This seemed easier than going on a mission for the WC in the lovely Piazza della Rotunda. Off again, I wander, this time to the famous Trevi Fountain. Firstly, a strange man follows me down the steps of the Hotel Navona. He says, do I know you? Where were you born? I look at him quizzically and think to myself, I don't think so yet persist with polite conversation. 
it turns out he has learnt from the reception that I am Australiana and live in Sydney. Well, sort of. Not really. I certainly grew up in Sydney. He grew up in Newtown, a city suburb of Sydney, and went to a boys' school called Trinity, De La Salle in Ashfield. He told me how he was expelled from the school for smoking a cigarette at the railway station on the way home from school. He has lived in many places, yet has been in Rome for the last 15 years. He is the owner of Hotel Navona. I was thinking of mentioning to him that my room was really tiny and smack bang next to the breakfast room. I could hear them setting up breakfast quite early. He showed me directions. To the right, the Pantheon, and to the left, Piazza Navona. This I did know. He did not mention the Trevi Fountain. Ironically, I would spend the best part of the next hour searching for the Trevi Fountain. Map in hand and water bottle in the other. I discovered this morning that I cannot read maps and found myself back at Piazza Navona again. No problemo, I followed the blue signs that every now and again appear for the tourists with little arrows to Piazza di Spagna or to the Pantheon. Helpful, but what about the Piazza di Trevi? Eventually I realise I am lost and there is no getting out of it. The fact is, I read maps upside down. Why did they not teach map reading at Girls Club, the local version of Girl Guides, when I was nine? I really could use this guidance right now. Finally, I arrive at Piazza di Trevi and lo and behold, the Trevi fountain is under some serious renovation. I see glass partitions around the fountain and a lot of scaffolding. Although I look at the bridge they have installed and the television above the walkway playing a documentary on the history of the Trevi Fountain, and I think this bridge is one way to keep the tourists happy. I sort of think it is a bit crazy and decide to sit at a little cafe facing the fabled fountain. Feeling the need to sit down at a cafe, I peruse the menu. Music from the film The Godfather plays in the background. Quickly the waiter comes over asking me in perfect English what I would like to order. I begin to mumble in Italian, per favore, un cappuccino of um, I am thinking about a croissant and look back at the menu covered in plastic and grime and wonder, is a cornetto a croissant or would I like a cannoli? Yum. Is cannoli on the menu? In Australia, I'm a big fan of the cannoli. I am contemplating the fact that I just ate breakfast and don't exactly need food in truth. I can feel him hovering. No, just a cappuccino, grazie. All of this mumbo-jumbo and suddenly the man next to me leaning back in his seat smoking a cigarette says, you started in Italian and you finish in English. I look at him laughing and ask, where are you from? Thinking there is certainly a hint of familiarity in his voice. His immediate response is Melbourne. Oh, I laugh. He knows I am Australian. That lovely Australian twang of mine he has registered. We begin a great conversation about Italy and life. He tells me he has been here for three weeks and has just returned to Rome after a visit to his extended family in a little island off Sicily. He definitely looks Italian and instantly reminds me of my brother Tony. He has similar eyes and the same deeply tanned olive skin and I figure he is about the same age. A gypsy wanders over and offers us a paper cup with the request of a coin donation. I don't hear what she says, but I see it in her dark eyes. 
Before I can respond, my Melbourne friend has told her in no uncertain terms to leave in some strong Italian. Arrivederci was all I caught. He was fast. Damn, he would be a great guide around this city. She walked quickly down Villa della Vugini. I don't see her again. I emptied my cappuccino and asked him to take a photo of me with my camera. Why not, I tell myself. I give him my iPhone. Next thing I know, my new friend Jay jumps up with my phone and starts running down the street. I watch and hope he's just joking because I do not move in retaliation. My legs do not seem interested. He comes back having a great laugh to himself and takes a photo of me in front of the peeling yellow cafe. I return the favour and wish him, Arrivederci, have a great time and wander into a little tourist shop on the other side of the piazza. I buy two t-shirts for Richard and some little souvenirs for the girls. Excitement bubbling over at the spontaneity of travel as I continue on my way. It is time to roam towards Piazza di Spagna. Once again, I'm standing there looking at a maze of five street options, wondering what is the best direction. Unfortunately, sight a gelato shop. I look a little further and I am delighted to find myself in Piazza della Maddalena, much to my surprise. I take this as a very good sign. My eldest daughter is named Madeline. I remember seeing this little corner of Rome in my beloved Italia magazine some years back. I remember seeing Il Ristorante Ciro and Ciro, a little pizziera that is located under the perfect Roman iron balcony with the walls painted a combination of Naples yellow and yellow ochre. There are windows with shutters that are the shade of pale duck egg blue that I love. It is the perfect combination and not unlike the house I live in. Living these colours, I instantly connect with my random location and take a few photos. I am happy, I am lost and I am found. Santa Maria Maddalena is a Roman Catholic church named after Saint Mary Magdalene. I walk in and light a candle in honour of my trip. I drop two euros in the donation box under a gold gilded frame of the beloved saint. My heart flips in a good way. I walk outside and over to the gelato area to sample the gelato. I go all the way and order four flavours because obviously I did not get enough at breakfast and taste test the mango, pistachio, creme caramel and dark chocolate. I don't care that it is practically lunchtime. I realise very soon that trying to navigate stony pavements with a very large gelato in a cup and a map in hand is extremely hazardous. Soon I discover that four flavours is a mistake as dark chocolate invariably drips onto my black and white striped skirt, leaving a fine brown stain. I ask myself, when in previous quests for gelato have I needed to eat four scoops? Italy is at fault, really. Just being here has inspired this decision. I decide this is the mark of the naive tourist who forgets that gelato is not so icy but more a frozen custard and will melt fast, especially on a warm autumn day in the humidity of Rome. I am a fool and I accept it. Many lessons will follow. I relocate myself eventually after much dripping and cleaning and foraging for more tissues and water. The evidence is removed from my skirt with a damp tissue. I finally work out that I am in front of Palazzo Gigi, so close yet so far away. 
I am praying I find very soon another of the wonderful water fountains that seem to be in abundance in this city. I really need to refill my bottle. I love that Rome has quality drinking water spilling from many sources, including fountains, cisterns and little public taps, pouring forth aqua to use freely with wondrous and happy abandon. Reflecting on the journey so far and what brings me to Italy. After arriving yesterday and having vague recollections of Termini Station, I walked out of the station pretending to be a seasoned traveller who knew exactly what she was doing and replied, non grazie, no thank you, to a number of interested parties happy to oblige me in a taxi or a ticket somewhere, I suspect hoping for an exchange of cash. I found the bus 64 outside in the car park, bus terminal, and after about 20 minutes jumped off with my rather large bag at Piazza San Andrea della Valle. I looked around, turning a corner optimistically, having no map and no idea where my hotel was. I was delirious yet excited and asked a local outside the pizzeria where the street was after showing him the address. Fortunately, he obliged me, pointing to a cobbled street across the road and gave me a pamphlet of pizza options for dinner. I was on my way. The truth is, this is all new to me. I haven't travelled by myself abroad, ever, and the last time I left the country was 16 years ago with my husband Richard before kids, marriage and mortgage. We went away for three months, travelling in Asia, Europe, America and Canada. Eleven months later, we discovered we were with child. I had just been invited to join the creative arts department at university. Cut to 15 years later and many winding curves in the road thus far. I told myself a few years ago it was time to do something just for me. I created another savings account and reminded myself daily why I needed to go. Opening my diary in early April, I saw in bold capitals, buy a ticket to Italy, take a risk. Taking the bull by the horns because sometimes you know you have to. I went to the travel agent and got myself a little quote for a trip in September. Things seemed to speed up from there. Fortunately, this year my youngest is in kindergarten, her first school year, and I feel like the window is open just enough that I can jump out of it for a slip of time. I am grateful for school holidays and the blessed coincidence that my husband is a high school teacher. And now I find myself on the busy road Corso Via del Corso. I buy two magnets with carpe diem inscribed on a piece of marble. I love the meaning of this phrase and I guess what it symbolises to me. The local palm reader on the corner of the intersection offers me a tarot reading for 20 euros. I am the obvious tourist buying the obvious souvenir. I decline his offer telling him it was just too obvious, too cliché. As I begin to walk away, he tries again, 10 euros for a palm reading. I say no thank you, yet notice his tarot cards are tattered and worn around the edges. Maybe he is good at reading tarot. I am intrigued. I keep walking and don't look back. Finally, I get my directions under control when I notice a sign to Villa Borghese. I can't seem to find this location on my map, so this will be handy. I look at the Fendi shop. I notice I am once again at the crossroads. I see more designer clothing shops. I look far to my right. Oh, the Spanish steps. There are about 900 people walking up this street. It is crammed with locals and tourists. I see 
a girl in a fabulous green frock with a pleated silk skirt that reminds me of the tangerine-coloured dress Sarah Jessica Parker wore in the Sex and the City film part two. I think it is H&M. She looks young and stunning and designer perfect. She walks out of Chanel, moving in the same direction as me. There seems to be more areas of renovation below the infamous steps. There is no hot pink bougainvillea I have seen in the travel brochures. There are lots of steps and a lot of people sitting and talking and taking photos. I am thirsty and sit down for a minute to take it all in. I really need a drink. There is a small fountain at the bottom of the stairs. Many people stand around it. One is leaning over quite haphazardly with a bottle in hand filling up fresh aqua from the beautiful Fontana della Boccaccia. I contemplate this myself, but it could be dangerous. Imagine falling in the water in front of half of Rome. As it seems, half of Rome is in Piazza di Spagna. I notice the corner where the Keats Shelley House stands as a museum and library dedicated to the two romantic poets, both of them being utterly captivated by the eternal city. Both of their young lives ending in Italy all the same. A weird coincidence in my opinion. I snap a few photos and get up and wander up the stairs, wondering where the Medici Villa is. At the top, there is a little van selling drinks and food. I buy a chilled peach tea. And then, of course, as I see a drinking fountain spilling, bountiful aqua all over the pavement. I love Rome. It is now that I discover the fabulous views from the Medici Gardens that are at the top of all the stairs. At this elevation, the whole city is spread out in front of you. I ask an Italian man to take a photo of me. Him and his wife oblige, smiling kindly. Maybe I should have bought one of those little selfie stick gadgets off the boy at the River Tiber last night. There was some thriving street trade happening there and in Piazza Navona. One may succumb yet. Getting present, I am sitting in a little cafe bar restaurant in the park of the Medici Gardens called La Casina della Orologia. I am drinking the house vino rosso, red wine, and lunching on my first pizza of anchovy, tomato, and mozzarella. What fun today has been. My head is spinning. My feet are swelling, but I don't care. I have seen and conquered and even ordered my lunch in Italiano. Vorrei pizza Napoli, vino rosso e acqua minerale, per favore. When the waiter picked up the leftover pizza, half eaten due to stomach fatigue, he asked whether I am done. I am full, thank you, I smile. He asked me where I am from. Australia, I reply. He says, it is cold. I agree and tell him there are blossoms on the trees at home. He replied, like much. See, I agree. I am laughing. So far, all the wait staff chat to me in English. Bongiorno, what would you like? This is easier than I thought. Sitting here, looking at the scenery, enjoying my glass of wine, I am remembering the night before I left home. Richard made our dinner and sat there with his headphones on listening to the football, eating his meal in silence. I felt weary of it all. No last night acknowledgement of me leaving the next day. Is this what happens in married life? Is this what you get? The girls were happy. I just felt this looming disconnect. The whole romance is dead feeling. Not that I crave romance, just sincerity. Nothing new, nothing to say. I wanted to talk, obviously excited about the next day, but he was off in his own world. At least I didn't have to listen to the football, I suppose. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise. And now 
I am sitting in a cafe in a Roman garden for my first lunch, getting tears in my eyes, writing about all the funny things and the joy of getting here and realizing through my writing in my journal that my husband and I may have lost a connection. It has been a huge 36 hours. I see the map of Rome spread out beneath my book. The girl in the emerald green dress interrupts me. She's now sitting at the table beside me. She has ordered a toasted panini. She asked me if I would mind if she smoked a cigarette. I don't care. This is Italy after all, and I have finished my food. There is a little wine left in my glass. I tell her I saw her in the street that I love her dress. She looks at me quizzically, a little disarmed. Maybe the tiredness and the wine are telling her this. I have no idea what time it is. I think it is time to walk back to Piazza Navona. I have written so much. I am drained, but content. The day is cloudy overcast but not cold i will pay the bill and move onwards perhaps down to the stunning piazza i can see from up high to piazza del popolo it proves to be an enchanting evening walking around the river tiber rome at night is beautiful romantic safe and unapologetically itself a city i know i could return to a hundred times and find something new to discover walking back from piazza del popolo I see a Leonardo da Vinci exhibition, so I wander in to take a look. On the stroll back to the hotel, I come across all these little pieces of paper, art, artefacts, coins and words, carefully reclining on barricaded fence line. Intrigued, I look at a photo of a man standing in front of an engraved wall of Latin inscription. Oddly, for some reason, I look across the street and laugh out loud. The man with the white shirt and white beard is standing there in front of the very wall the photo was taken at, watching me. An exact replica of himself in the photo below. It is so unexpected that I wave and ask him if I can take a few snapshots of his art installation. Sweet collections for my journey and little reminders of his beautiful evocative messages as I strolled back on the way to Piazza Navona. Thank you for coming along for the journey of Chapter 1, Rome, Take the Gun, Leave the Cannoli, fabulous quote from The Godfather, or Take a Risk, Buy a Ticket. So far, it has been a real fun journey to listen to my story again, reveling in it all over again, which is the beauty of being a writer, or a journal writer in my case, that you get to relive it over and over. So I wholeheartedly suggest taking a really good pen and a beautiful journal. I wrote this in a moleskin, which um, held my writings and all of my bits and pieces I collected along the way really well. And um, yeah, it's just so much fun, so much fun to travel. And admittedly, being by myself was really important at the time because it takes a lot of energy and um, grit, I think, to make that make headway with that. And, I mean, I was 39 at the time when I did this journey, and I really needed it. Like, I, I did have my naysayers, and I did have a little bit of negativity at times around going and leaving my responsibilities, my family behind. Something I noticed when my husband went overseas, no one commented on him 
making or taking that journey for three weeks because it was a school excursion. And I remember thinking, why is it different for me? Why is it different for a woman or a mother? And that's that was part of the reason I went as well, because you need to rub up against these things sometimes and make, well, actually put yourself first. Um, my girls were so beautiful and helpful. And as I said, um, Maddie's only prerequisite was that I take her next time. And I really, um, you know, I held on to that. And recently we went finally after five years um, on our first journey overseas together. We went to Italy and to France and it was so much fun. Like I, I just loved it and they did too. Um, the girls now are 18, nearly 19, uh, 14 and 10. So a really wonderful, special time. And maybe I'll write about that soon. Um, I mean, I wrote when I was away, but not as in detail. Although the experience is very fresh, so you never know. Next, we're going to Oviedo, Cortona, where the title in the shadow of a cypress came from that part and that experience. One of my favourite parts of the trip. I'm so glad I went. Um, and it's quite a long chapter as well. Then to Fiazzale, up in the hills behind Florence. I decided to stay up there instead of in the city. Um, very interesting decision. And a really beautiful place to see uh, Florence from, actually. Just so stunning up there with the Medici Villas. And uh, we recently visited up there again and had a beautiful lunch. And um, next, Siena. Um, trying to think, my mind's going blank, but uh, to the Amalfi Coast, which was quite a wonderful and different experience compared to being in Rome and Tuscany and Umbria, like so varied. Um, and then back to Rome. So, yes, journey, the journey. It means a lot. It stays with you for a very long time. It fed me. It gave me strength. It opened me. It, um, it took care of me. And I don't know what would have happened if I didn't do that. Mental health, it's an important thing. And even if it takes one little trip, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big trip. It can be a short trip. It can be a week at a retreat. It can be two days. But I think those times are what you hold on to as life moves you on. And, um, yeah, I think trust that. Trust it if it comes up. Trust it if you need to take time for yourself with or without children, obviously. That doesn't matter what the need is. It's just a vital thing to think about. Anyway, next part, Orvieto, I will share very soon. Ciao.